we know what the goal is. The goal is verses 24 and 25. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the point. The point is that we realize who we are, our failings, our shortcomings, our sins, and realize the only answer is found in Jesus. If you haven't been with us through our Romans study, I want you just to kind of go back and do a quick review with me. Romans 1, the point is, God created the heavens and the earth. He's God. Which then takes us to Romans 2. Since he's the creator, he's also the one that gets to determine right, wrong. He's the judge. Romans 3 told us that we're all sinners and we all need to be judged. But Romans 4 came and told us that faith in Jesus Christ saves us from that sin and that judgment. Romans 5 then came and said, not only does faith in Jesus Christ save you from sin and and hell, it also gives you strength to live in a dying world. Romans 6, a couple weeks ago, then told us that we are actually dead to sin so we can live victoriously, which now takes us to Romans 7, which sums it up once again. Verse 24, I am wretched, one translation, I am miserable. Who can save me? Who can deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is found in Jesus. Now, how does Paul get there? Paul gets there by coming back to verse 7. That's where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And back in verse 7... He starts talking about the law. And I'm going to give you the purpose of this, because as we read it, he uses a lot of heavy terms there. You have to remember what the purpose of the law was. When you read Exodus, you read Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those are books that a lot of us don't find very exciting. Not a real big page-turner, if you will. But yet those are books that are so valuable, and what a blessing they are. Because the purpose of those books is to show you God's holy standard, and then guess what? The point is to say that you can't reach that holy standard. That's the whole purpose of the law, according to Romans 3, is to read all those rules and regulations to show you I can't do this. God wanted us to go through that law and say, okay, I can do this. Okay, here's the rule. Okay, if I get dirty like this, this is how I go cleanse myself. Okay, i got to sacrifice this animal. And then basically after trying to do this, the point was that we throw our hands up in the air and saying, "This this is ridiculous. I can't do this, Lord. I can't keep your standard. And then for God to say that was the whole point. The whole point was for you to realize you can't keep my standards, and that's why you need Jesus Christ. Because if you could keep his standards and rules and regulations, why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins? The law is a spiritual flashlight to show us our sin. And that's what he starts out with here, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would have not have known covetousness, Unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Let's just break this down real quick. purpose of the law was to reveal to us sin. Paul says in verse 7, I would not have known sin except through the law. Paul, by studying the law, realized he was a sinner. What was the sin that caught Paul? Verse 7, covetousness. I don't know what it was. I don't know what he saw. I don't know what he desired. But when he got to that point of covetousness, the flashlight went on and said, Paul, you're a sinner. Now... This is where it happens. Verse 8. Sin, taking the opportunity, produced in me all manner of evil desire. 
Once the door was open and Paul realized he was a sinner through covetousness, it's like the floodgates open. And all of a sudden, all this other sin just came right into his life. I mean, think about this. We start having these thoughts. Oh, that's wrong? Let me try it. Oh, you don't want me to do that? I wonder why. So God sets up this holy standard. Paul realizes that he failed in one area, covetousness, and now curiosity comes in. What about this? What about that? I'm going to try that. And sin, verse 8, took the opportunity and then brought in all types of other sins. Paul then says in verse 9, Before I knew this, I was alive. I didn't realize it was wrong. But now that I know this, I've died. Sin killed me. I've died. I've died to the thought that I can do this on my own. I've died to the thought that I am good. I've died to the thought that I am right in the eyes of God. I've died to all those thoughts because sin came in and killed me. And what he thought was actually supposed to bring life, verse 10, brings death. Because he was face to face now with sin. See, when you're around the holy standard, the holy perfection, you realize how sinful you are. When Peter first met Jesus, and they did that amazing miracle of the catch of fish, Peter came and hit his knees in front of Christ and said, I'm a sinner. Because Peter, being around the perfection of Jesus, realized his own sin. Isaiah, when Isaiah saw the throne room of God and saw the vision of God, Isaiah's response in Isaiah 6 was, woe to me, because I'm a man of unclean lips. See, I just got done reading John, and I just got done reading Mark. And the more I study out Jesus, the more I realize I'm not Jesus. The more I study the Bible, the more I realize what's wrong. And this is what Paul is saying, is when you get into the Word, and when you get into the law, and you study out God's holy perfection, it actually is that flashlight that reveals to you that you're a sinner. See, it still shocks me. Some people don't think they're involved in Romans 3. You remember Romans 3? There's no one who does good, no, not one. There's no one who follows after God. I have met three people in my life that actually believe that they do not sin. They actually, they don't think they've ever sinned. And if they weren't such jerks, I'd really like to talk to them more to find out what is going through their mind. Because they walk in this holy standard of perfection of, you sin? Yeah. Well, I don't sin. Well, see, you make me sin by saying you don't sin. Because then I think things about you I shouldn't think, see? But they really convince themselves they don't. And 1 John talks about this. 1 John uh, 7 and 1 John 10 You know, if you say you do not sin, you lie. You deceived yourself. Paul says, listen, when you get into the Word, when you get into the law, it's a flashlight that shows what sin does. And what does sin do, verse 11? It deceives you. It deceives you. Sin makes itself look different than really what it is. I started making this list of all the times in the Bible people were deceived. And the list just kept growing. Think about back to Adam and Eve in the garden. The serpent deceived Eve. Eat of the fruit. You'll be like God. You won't die. Think of how sin deceived Cain. Cain, you're so angry at Abel, just kill him. Remember what God warned Cain before that? He told Cain, sin is knocking at the door. It wants you. We can go down the line. David. David was deceived. We've mentioned this before in many lessons, so just bear with me. David's sin was obviously adultery. But really the first sin that started David's path towards that was laziness. The Bible says that he was taking a nap in the evening and that it was the time for when kings went out to war. David should have been leading his troops in battle. Instead, he's sleeping in the evening, wakes up, sees Bathsheba, and then it's just deception after deception after deception. He calls her over. 
Okay, now I need to hide this. Oh, she's pregnant. I've got to get Uriah killed. Okay, now I've hidden all this, and now I can move on with my life. Do you realize how often we do that? We got away with it. No one saw. No one heard. No one were deceived. God saw. We've been studying Exodus on Wednesday nights, and when Moses killed the Egyptian, the Bible says Moses looked to the left, he looked to the right, and then he killed the Egyptian. Moses never looked up. How often do we do that? No one saw me. No one heard me. Good. Quote, unquote, I got away with it. No. Sin deceives us. So what happens is, I can start doing things and get away with it. I can look at that and no one caught me. I can think about that and no one catches that. I can do that in private behind closed doors and no one sees. It's a deception. My mind can be completely off God, but I'll still sit at church with my Bible and say, Amen, praise the Lord, and lay my hands in worship. You're deceiving yourself. Because that's what sin does. It deceives us. Therefore, the law, verse 12, the law itself is not bad. The law is holy. It's the people that receive the law is bad. See, God's standards are good. The people he gave the standards to, they're bad. So the law is holy. It's the recipients that are bad. What does this all sum up to? Verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me, that through what is good, so that the sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. Now that's a whole mouthful of words there. Break it down simply. My translation, New King James, let's just count the times the word sin is mentioned. We have sin once, sin twice. And we also have sin a third time, then we have sinful four times. I also see the word death mentioned twice. Very simply put, verse 13, sin equals death. That's all it is. Sin equals death. Sin will kill you spiritually, it will kill you physically, it will kill you emotionally, it will destroy your relationships, it is death. I do not think we will ever fully understand on this earth, on this planet, how absolutely disgusting sin is. We're completely surrounded by it. We're so used to it. We go home and sin is on our television. We go on the internet, sin is on the internet. We go to work, we hear words we shouldn't hear. We go out to the mall, we see outfits we shouldn't see. Sin is just everywhere. We're so used to walking in the pig slop of sin, it doesn't really affect us anymore. Sin equals death. And that's the point that Paul is trying to say. And then he goes one step further in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal sold under sin. So verses 7 through 12, the law is a spiritual flashlight that reveals sin. And the more you learn, the more you realize how sinful you are. Verse 13, sin equals death. Verse 14, I'm sin. I'm sin. We know that the law is spiritual. God's word is good. But I am carnal, sold under sin. That word carnal, some of your translations say fleshly. Governed by human nature, not God. Have you ever met a carnal Christian? A carnal Christian, according to the Bible, is somebody who has the head knowledge of Jesus, confesses Christ, but they live in the world like they've never been touched by Christ's life. They're carnal. They let their fleshly body control them. Paul, describing a carnal Christian, said they're envious, strife, and full of division. When you run into a carnal Christian, you don't want to be around them. You walk on eggshells because every conversation turns into an argument. They're always upset about something. They're always bothered. They can't have joy in the world because they know Christ, and so therefore they're convicted. But they can't have joy in church 
Because they kind of don't want to be there. They want to be back in the world and they're convicted by that. And they're just a miserable person to be around. They're having this spiritual side with this fleshly side. It's an awful thing to be. Awful thing to be. And Paul says, I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. And you never know what you're getting with them. One day it's praise Jesus as in the next day they don't want to talk about what they did because it's so embarrassing and shameful. And they have no joy. No joy in that life. But yet they continue down that path and that path is going to destroy them. Can you go with me real quick to Galatians? How do we then fix this? Galatians 5. If we understand how this whole process comes as you're going to Galatians 5. Romans 1... God created me. Romans 2, God will judge me. Romans 3, I'm a sinner. Romans 4, faith in Jesus saved me. Romans 5, faith in Jesus gets me through the day. Romans 6 says I can have victory through dying to sin. Romans 7, how do I live it? How do I practically do this? Well, Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. Look at the end of verse 17. That you do not do the things you wish. I don't want to live this way. I don't want to act this way. I want to walk in the Spirit. Walk denotes action. Walk denotes effort. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to put effort into my relationship with Jesus. It does not save me, but it shows Lord, I am desirous of knowing more of you. Remember this very simple point. The reason we read, the reason we pray, the reason we serve, the reason we witness is not because we have to. It's because we've been so touched by what God's love has done for us that we want to do those things. And so since God's love compels me, the Bible says, doesn't force me, compels me, I want to. Lord, I want to spend more time with you. I want to read. I want to pray. I want to walk in the Spirit. But there's flesh, and it's disgusting, and it's gross, and it's sinful, and it takes me down a path that I don't want to go. See, jump ahead to Galatians 6, verse 8. Actually, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. We're a farming community. We're going to start planting here in a few weeks. You're going to plant beans in the spring. You're going to harvest beans in the fall. You're going to plant corn in the spring. You're going to harvest corn in the fall. You're going to reap what you sow. With that understanding, if you sow to the flesh, that is what your life will be. If you sow to the Spirit, that is what your life will be. I have to make a choice. I have to make a choice to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. I have to make a choice whether I'm planting seeds in the flesh or seeds in the Spirit. It is an ongoing battle. Someone used the analogy of having two dogs. And they asked this, of those two dogs, which one is the strongest? The answer is whatever one you feed. Spiritual man, fleshly man. Whatever one I feed will become stronger. If I spend time in the Spirit, if I spend time with the Lord, not because I have to, because I want to, my spiritual side will grow stronger. My flesh will always be there. It will still be a battle, but my spiritual side grows stronger. If I neglect that and I just focus on the flesh, my spiritual side will just shrivel up and dry. And it's nothing left anymore. See, some people don't have a walk with the Lord. They get saved and they just stand there. They don't have a walk. There's no effort. There's no nothing. Or they, they just have these tiny little moments of movement. It's not a walk. It's a crawl. No. 
I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to be in the Spirit. I want to feed that spiritual man. And we've talked about before, recently, about the idea of everything we do in life either edifies me spiritually or tears me down back to the flesh. But there's this huge segment in our life that's neutral. What do we do with that? Part of walking in the Spirit is taking the neutral times of your life and using that in a spiritual manner. When I'm driving to work, I choose to listen to praise and worship or a message or pray. When I'm out mowing the yard, I use that time for the Lord. Instead of flipping through all the stations, trying to find something. I just don't even turn the TV on. Let's just read. Let's just pray. And those are efforts of taking something that's neutral and making it spiritual. Not because I have to. Please hear me out. You don't have to. You want to. When you fully understand what God did for you, you want to do these things. And then you stop and you say, Lord, I realize what happens when I feed the spiritual man. I'm blessed. But when I feed the fleshly man, there's a moment of pleasure followed by shame, regret, condemnation, and sin. Sin deceives us and tells us it's worth it. It never is. What I want to finish is this. Come back to Romans 7. We said that the whole point is getting to verses 24 and 25. Oh, wretched man that I am, Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That passage and how Paul gets to that is probably my favorite passage in the whole Bible. And it's really a passage you don't have to teach. Just listen. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. It's going to read a little bit differently than the New King James, which we normally use. But I just want to read, starting in verse 15. Does this not describe sometimes our walk with the Lord? Verse 15. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm really not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. That power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Just re-listen to this passage real quick. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Is this not you? Is this not me? I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Oh, I love this verse. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Sad part is a lot of us to stop right there. I'm miserable. What are you going to do about it? You're miserable. This isn't the life you want. This isn't the marriage you want. This isn't how you want things to be. You're miserable. Because you're walking in the flesh and the spirit and you have this weird combination 
And we stop right at that verse. What a miserable person I am. Who will save me? Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? And we just stop right there. We've got to read the last verse. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember when Peter fell and stumbled? The Bible says that Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Peter knew Christ, knew who Christ was, but he followed Jesus at a distance. When you follow Christ at a distance, you're not walking in the Spirit. You have moments of it, but it's really the flesh. John 15 says that we abide in Christ, we remain in Christ, and the closer you are to Christ, the better things will go. And when I say the better things will go, you know I'm not preaching some prosperity. I'm saying, spiritually speaking, the closer I am to Jesus, the better things will go. Marv, if you want to come forward here for the final song. With all of our kids, and we went through this with Kenan, we went through this with Layden, we went through this with Tyrus. We would go into a public spot, and for many years it was, who has Layden? Because you never knew what Layden was going to do. Now it's, who has Tyrus? When Layden and Tyrus stayed close to mom and dad, they didn't get into trouble. When we stay close to Jesus... We don't get into as much trouble. When I'm doing marriage counseling with a couple or I'm just talking to someone about life and they find their life falling apart, when I start asking them, how are you doing spiritually? How's your time in the Word? How's your time of prayer? How's your time just being with Jesus? Almost every time, not good. If you're not remaining or abiding with Christ, sin will deceive you, sin will come in, and will pull you away from Jesus. And instead of walking in the Spirit, you'll walk in the flesh.